0: <laughs> you guys have got a, I think uh, Angelica already said this book for those of you who don't know I obviously have a little bit of a cold and I apologize if I'm a little bit raspy today <clears throat> but I'll try not to uh, cough too much and inhale too much air and burp or something which tends to happen while I'm practicing my sermons and it hasn't happened yet while I'm doing my sermons but uh, anyway today's sermon is Genesis 1 verses 20 through 25 and it's entitled Tasty and Delicious. Now before I get into that I would like to uh, note that last week I talked about the waves coming in on the seashore and she had a question about that and I actually checked what I had read and uh, the analysis was not entirely correct and I wanted to say that now so it's a part of this sermon in case somebody watches uh, and saw last week's that there is a lot more involved to the number of the waves coming on the shore than uh I read up a great deal about it afterward and it is a very involved science so that's one thing in the sermon that uh, actually wasn't correct and I wanted to make sure that everybody was aware of that Um, but as I said today we're going to talk about something both tasty and delicious one day a zookeeper noticed that a monkey was reading two books the first was uh, the Bible and the second was Darwin's the origin of species in surprise he asked the ape why are you reading both of those books? And the ape responded, well, I'm trying to figure out if I'm my brother's keeper or my keeper's brother. Most <laughs> people love to go to the zoo and we love to see all of the animals that God created. And when Hideko and I lived in Japan, we lived literally right next door to the Hamara Zoo. It was a real treat for us. We could hear the animals in the evening as they were uh, doing their wild things and it was kind of a nice place to be. But uh, my daughter also, Tangerine, some of you might know that she has gone off into a new adventure in her life. She is now raising and handling big cats and she's personally responsible for three tigers. And one of them she named after her brother, Thor. So there's a tiger in Florida named Thor and she's up in Pensacola doing this right now. Um, Wherever we go, wherever we are, there are animals to excite our imaginations and they're there to entertain our lives and I was watching a special on crows just a little while ago on PBS with my wife and um, it was really amazing to see how intelligent the crows are. They are one of only three types of life on planet earth that we know of that not only use, but they actually make their own tools and they can perform cognitive thinking in multiple stages which is something that was previously thought only possible in humans and in primates. Crows can recognize individual humans and remember them for up to two full years and they can communicate their knowledge of specific humans to hundreds and even thousands of other crows so if i catch a crow and i keep him trapped and then later i let him go he will instruct all of the other crows that are out there to keep away from me and he will even teach it to the next generation so really fascinating at the hamara zoo where we were at If you walked in, right when you walked into the zoo, they kept crows there and they could accurately predict the coming of earthquakes. So people knew that an earthquake was coming, not very far in advance, but they knew that it was coming so people could prepare for that. Crows are an amazing part of God's creation and yet they're just a minuscule part of the vast array of life which God has created on planet earth. In a little less than two days, On the fifth day of creation and on the first half of the sixth day of creation, which were Thursday and Friday of the first week, God created every type of animal that exists in the world today. On Thursday, he created the birds and the other winged creatures and all of the life in the sea. And then on Friday, before creating man, he created all of the land animals that we've come to know and love as pets, as natural curiosities, and as nummy nummy dinners. Just as with the rest of creation, these creatures were prepared by God for man's expected arrival. And today we'll talk about the six verses which have come to be the focus of our fishing vacations, of our dreams of flying like birds, and also of afternoon naps with snuggle partners of the four-footed variety. Here's our text verse for today. Who knows if the spirit of man rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth? So may God speak to us through his word today and may his glorious name ever be praised. Part number one today is God's creation. Remember the words which opened the pages of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is the creator and therefore the creation is his. And what happens to the creation should be as he purposes. He divides up the lands and the nations as he so chooses. He ordains what men can and cannot eat and he bestows authority on his creatures as he sees fit. He's the creator, and the entire creation is subject to him. He is the potter, and the clay can be used, it can be reformed, and it can be discarded as he determines. Although this should be painfully obvious to everybody, we often fail to see it as clearly as that. One moder- Our modern world treats God's sovereign decisions quite often as if he were some type of a lunatic. God has reserved, for example, the land of Israel for himself. Eight times in the Old Testament, God specifically calls that piece of property, my land. And he's not talking about Charlie Garrett. He's saying, this is my land, Jehovah God. And he implies that probably thousands of times throughout the Old Testament. And he has sovereignly taken this land and he has given it to one group of people. He's given it to the nation of Israel says in the book of Deuteronomy chapter four, and because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their de- descendants after them. And he brought you up out of Egypt with his presence, with his mighty power, driving out from before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in and to give you their land as an inheritance as it is this day. But like many other issues, we tend to snub God, we spit on his word, and we actively work against his ordinances. The land of Israel as I've said, belongs to the Jewish people as a heritage forever. But we are currently and actively working to divide the land of Israel. And because of that, the judgment of God is going to fall on all the nations of the world. It says in the book of Job, for behold, in those days, and at that time, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, guess what, that's the time that we are living in. 14 May of 1948, it began, 7 June of 1967, they recapture Jerusalem. This is happening right before our very eyes. It says, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, which is the valley where the Lord judges. And I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. They have also divided up my land. Several things do not matter one bit, not an iota concerning this verse. First is what anybody here thinks about it. Second is what I think about it. And third, it doesn't matter what anybody else on planet Earth thinks about it. The only thing that matters is what God thinks about it. We are currently working to divide the nation of Israel, the land of Israel, in a search for peace. But the Bible says, as you saw in the book of Job, that instead of peace, we will only find war, destruction, and judgment. Another unfortunate action that man has recently been pursuing is the folly of global warming. 25 years ago in the 70s, it was the folly of global cooling, but now it's global warming. They are attempting to restrict how people live and what they do with what God has given us. People make up these bizarre theories about how we are able to affect global temperatures despite the evidence always being the opposite, whether it's global (coughs) cooling or whether it's global warming. And because of following this particular path, the oil that God placed in the earth for our use is considered unclean. The trees that God gave us for houses and for building fireplaces or whatever are used as sacred objects of worship instead of being used with a chainsaw. But God ordained a different path for us in this particular context. He said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. King David elaborated on what God ordained in Genesis when he penned the eighth Psalm. It says, What is man that you were mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. Just like the land of Israel and the earth that we blasphemously call mother, it's become fashionable as well to reject the foods that we are given by God. Instead, we treat them in a harsh manner. We can't enjoy a good steak without being made to feel guilty about it by somebody, like PETA or somebody else. People demand rights for animals when God has ordained that animals are to be eaten if we so choose. Later in Genesis chapter 9, we read this be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the air on all that move on the earth and on all of the fish of the sea they are given into your hand every moving thing that lives shall be food for you i have given you all things even as the green herbs and even those who do eat meat will often put restrictions on what kinds of meat we can and can't eat misunderstanding our freedom in jesus christ There are sects and there are denominations which forbid things like pork or shellfish or other tasty treats that God has given us. None of this is biblical and all of it is harmful to the relationship that we enjoy in the freedom which is Jesus Christ. Speaking of nummy nummy foods, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. Now we'll talk a little bit more about the food that we can eat later, but remember that the God of creation is the ultimate authority on what is allowed and what is forbidden in the use of his creation. If he allows something, then we interfere with that allowance at our own peril. If we add restrictions that he didn't without obvious and valid reasons, then we are adding to what is not at our prerogative. And likewise, if we detract from his restrictions, then we violate what he alone has the right to mandate. Either way, when we disobey God's law, then we state that we are either more intelligent or we are more compassionate or we are simply more important than he is. Point number two today is the fifth day, an abundance of life. So here's a question. Have you ever taken the time to watch a bird of prey catch what it's after? Outside of our house, we have these uh, uh, fish hawks, these ospreys that come in and they, Fly in and they'll catch a, a little piece of uh, a little fish right out of the bay, and they'll take <laughs> off. and And it's marvelous to watch it happen. Or if you watch a pelican out here, pelicans will dive, and if you see them put their head back up and start swallowing, they got what they were after. And it is very, very, very infrequently that they don't do that. They're marvels of being able to catch these things. My mother sent me a link to an eagle owl recently that was uh, uh, captured on film as it was coming in to get a piece of meat that was attached to a camera. The camera was set at 1,000 frames per second and this video lasted 59 seconds. So it was a flight of 59,000 frames. It was beautiful to watch. At first this bird comes in, it swoops in and it's down below the level of where the target is and it's just completely ready. It sees it, its target and it's just like this. And then as it gets closer, it starts to just gently flap its wings to uh, slow itself down. And when it does, it drops its legs to get a little bit of wind resistance. And then once it is kind of, you can see it's stabilized again, then its legs come back up behind it and it puts its wings out straight and it's ready for its final few feet. And as it's coming in, its eyes are never di- diverting from this target at all in any way. A little bit closer. And the tail feathers fan out, like if you think of the parachute behind the space shuttle or something. So the bird is like this, but the tail feathers are laying down below it. And then within just a couple feet of the target, the bird completely flattens itself out. So it's open, just entirely open like this in front of the target. And at the last second, I mean, it was just within a foot or so of this target, its legs raise up, And they're like this so its legs are out its body is flat out like this and then just before it gets to the food the claws opened up almost like something on a sci-fi movie it was the most incredible thing i've ever seen and as it does it it starts to flap its wings backwards and all of these beautiful light feathers are just going off they're blowing in this direction so all of this is going on the bird grabs at the meat and it's simultaneously ready to fly off all within a split second and as this is going on, it is simply dazzling to watch what's, what you would otherwise not be able to see because it's happening in slow time rather than real time. And this type of precision and this type of beauty that we see comes directly from the mind of God as he constructed his creatures to dazzle and to amaze us. And we can do this, any type of creature, if we simply study it, it is amazing to see what God has thought of. On the fifth day, which was Thursday, God did a marvelous work when he ordained the life in the form of the birds and in the form of sea life to flourish here on earth. It says in Genesis, then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. Now I want to give you a side note here in case you use the King James Version. That translates this particular verse that I just read in verse 20 a little bit differently. It says there, And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and the fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of the heaven. This translation, the King James Version, seems to imply that the sea creatures and the birds were produced out of the waters. However, a different translational choice will allow for a much more probable interpretation. It's what I read earlier. It says, then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the firmament of the heavens. These modern translations clear up any sense that the waters were the source of life. Instead, God is the source of life and the waters were the medium in which he created the sea life. And then the birds were created by the same great creator and their domain is the sky above us. Now this should seem obvious to people that believe in creation, but it's important to separate these two concepts because for all we know, Darwin who was raised in a Christian context and probably with the King James Version could have come to his insane conclusions about the origin of species from that particular verse. So it's good to understand that God is the source of life and he created out of these things. They, were, they, they did not evolve out of them, in other words. On the same day, God created the immense and the much debated Leviathan, which is mentioned in the book of Job. Not what I just read you, but it's mentioned elsewhere in the book of Job. And the description of the Leviathan takes up an entire chapter of Job. And this, along with another beast that I'll mention in just a little while, which is the behemoth, are highly disputed among liberal and believe it or not, even some conservative theologians. I'm going to read this description of the Leviathan, not the entire chapter. But as I'm describing it, think of what kind of a creature this is, and then we'll talk about it. Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay your hand on him. Remember the battle. Never do it again. Indeed, any hope of overcoming him is false. Shall one not be overwhelmed at the sight of him? Who can open the doors of his face with his terrible teeth all around, his rows of scales, are his pride, shut up tightly as with a seal. One is so near another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They stick together and cannot be parted. His sneezings flash forth light, and his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. <coughs> out of his mouth go burning lights. Sparks of fire shoot out. Smoke goes out of his nostrils as from a boiling pot and burning rushes. His breath kindles coals and a flame goes out of his mouth. Though the sword reaches him, it cannot avail, nor does the spear, dart, or javelin. He regards iron as straw and bronze as a rotten wood. The arrow cannot make him flee. Slingstones stones become to him like stubble. Darts are regarded as straw. He laughs at the threat of javelins. His undersides are like sharp potsherds. He spreads pointed marks in the mire. He makes the deep boil like a pot. He makes the sea like a pot of ointment. He leaves a shining wake behind him. One would think that the deep had white hair. On earth there is nothing like him, which is made without fear. Now I didn't, as I said, I didn't read the entire description, but this was something that God spoke to Job about as if he was already familiar with it. Modern scholars will claim in most commentaries that this is a crocodile. But describing a crocodile like this would be like giving the description of a 747 to a kite that belongs to a little child. It is certainly not a crocodile. There is no doubt what it was. It was some type of dinosaur that Job was aware of. Here's another question from the passage that we're analyzing. Have you ever wondered about this particular question, which is often pondered? Which came first, the chicken or the egg? We have the answer right in the verses that we're analyzing today. God created all of the birds of the world in a dazzling array of types and kinds, including the chicken. When the first rooster sidled up to the first hen, she rolled his eyes at him and she gave a coo and he gave a -a cock-a-doodle-doo and a couple days later, there were the first eggs. So that's the answer. Matthew Henry says of the fifth day of creation, each day hitherto has produced very noble and excellent beings, which we can never sufficiently admire. But we do not read of the creation of any living creature till the fifth day of which these verses gave us an account the work of creation not only proceeded gradually from one thing to another but rose and advanced gradually from that which was less excellent to that which was more so teaching us to press towards perfection and endeavor that our last works may be our best works mr henry is equating each day's increased nobility of creation with a general guideline for how we should live our lives We should endeavor to increase the quality of our works as we develop in life so that we accomplish progressively better in our deeds as we go along, thus emulating God's handiwork. In a similar manner, I would argue that Christians should develop as well. Instead of getting saved and then just living out our marginal lives at a low level of Christian maturity, we should be actively reading our Bibles. We should be actively studying what god has created in his creation and we should be working out the fruits of our salvation in the help of others through evangelism through ministry through discipleship etc so keep that in mind what matthew henry said said is correct that we should be developing in our lives and working towards a better goal as we live out the life that god has given us And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Now, we can move on from there into verse 24, and the beginning of the sixth day of creation. It says, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth, each according to its kind, And it was so, and God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Have you ever noticed a cow when it's chewing its cud? Has anybody ever done that? Stood and looked at a cow as it's chewing its cud? Their mouths move kind of side to side, and their eyes, I'm telling you, they roll off into absolute nothingness. And I cannot think of a more boring sight On the face of the earth. I'm telling you, when they are when and here's what I think, every single time that I see a cow chewing its cud, I think, I wonder what the cow is thinking right now. It goes through my mind every time. And while I was thinking about this for this sermon, I realized that God already does. He knows every thought of whatever that cow is thinking. Every animal on earth, whether it's the bizarre cats which control our lives or the monkeys which swing from tree to tree, or whether it's a squirrel or whether it's a yak or any other type of animal. Every animal has a specific purpose and it was designed in a specific way in anticipation of the coming man. God knows every single thing about every one of these creatures, every thought that they think and every move that they will make. King David says in the 139th Psalm, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, it is high. I cannot attain it. And this is exactly, I gotta tell you, this is exactly how I feel as I look at things like on PBS and links that my mother sends me of these dazzling, beautiful animals that we can capture in slow motion and see how absolutely intricate they are. On this day, the sixth day came the other great and the marvelous creature that is described in the book of Job. This animal is often footnoted as either an elephant or as a hippopotamus, but listen to the description of the behemoth and see if it matches either of those. Look now at the behemoth, which I made along with you. He eats grass like an ox. See now, his strength is in his hips and his power is in his stomach muscles. He moves his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are tightly knit. His bones are like beams of bronze, his ribs like bars of iron. He is the first of the ways of God, only he who made him can bring near his sword. Surely the mountains yield food for him, and all the beasts of the field play there. He lies under the lotus trees in a covert of reeds and marsh. The lotus trees cover him with their shade. The willows by the brook surround him. Indeed, the river may rage, yet he is not disturbed. He is confident, though the Jordan gushes into his mouth, though he takes it in his eyes, or one pierces his nose with the snare. First, this description says that he moves his tail like a cedar. The question is, and I've asked this in my Bible classes, what does an elephant or a hippopotamus's tail look look like? It it looks like a little dinky pencil. That's no bigger than that. This creature had a tail as large as a tree. Second, this guy here is said to be the first of the ways of God, as spoken from God's own mouth. So to say that this is either a hippo or an elephant is actually to demean the word of God and it's to call into question the veracity of the Bible. This creature was massive and so large in fact that when the Jordan was at its flood stage raging at full flow, the behemoth remained unmoved against it. And as with the Leviathan, this creature was was both familiar to Job and it perfectly fits the description of a dinosaur. And as a final nail in the doubter's coffin, no such animal exists in the Jordan Basin today, clearly indicating that it was neither a hippo or a hippo or a, uh, what do you call it, an elephant. And the reason why is because they are not indigenous to the Jordan Basin. Rather, this was something that is now extinct, which lived in the Jordan Basin. Our point number three today is tasty and delicious. One of my favorite things to do, and I said this last week, and it is second only to sleeping. I will tell you that right now. My favorite thing to do on planet Earth is to sleep. I absolutely love it. Don't call me after 8.15 at night. But second to sleeping is to eat. And tasty little animals are right at the top of my food enjoyment meter. I got to tell you something. Other than bread and a Asian fruit known as durian, which I actually almost brought one tonight. I forgot. It's about this big and it smells horribly bad those are my two favorite things but after this come animals tasty little well-cooked beasts and if you've been to one of my barbecues you know that I will cook enough for five times as many people as will come because I want to have tasty treats of yummy meat for weeks and weeks afterward and so that's what I will do is I'll cook a lot of extra food and we'll just jam the refrigerator full of it and we still have a bunch left over from our last barbecue and I think I might be enjoying some of it again right now One area that indicates a very weak understanding or a poor interpretation of the Bible is revealed right on the dinner tables of the Christian and of the pseudo-Christian world. When God ordains something as good and acceptable for the believer, it is good and acceptable for the believer. Finding fault in or misrepresenting what God has ordained or what he has allowed then is sin. That's all there is to it, plain and simple christians have every single right to claim as their own the chinese proverb which says that if it swims in the ocean if it flies in the sky or if it walks on the earth i will eat it we saw earlier from the verses in chapter 9 which i read you at the time of noah that god allowed noah to eat all forms of life every moving thing that lives shall be food for you now not every every in the bible always means every and not all alls in the bible always mean all In this case, context is always king. But in the case of the verse that I read earlier, every does mean every. There were no restrictions on the people of the world about what they could eat all the way up until the time of Moses and the law. And at that time, God set aside a special group of people for his own purposes. The restrictions that were levied upon Israel were levied upon Israel alone. And everybody else on earth was allowed to continue with Saturday morning bacon feasts and they could have Tuesday afternoon possum cook-offs. There was no restrictions there. When Christ came, he fulfilled that law on our behalf. And the law is set aside in Christ. This is stated explicitly three times in the book of Hebrews. It's alluded to many times in the book of Hebrews and many more times in the New Testament. The law is in no way binding on the Christian in any way, in any shape, in any form. We obtain our doctrine for life and the conduct of our lives from the New Testament. So to add to, to subtract from, or to misrepresent the New Testament principles for the Christian, as I said a little while ago, is sin period. That's all there is to it. There are numerous, numerous references to the suitability of all foods for the believer. But the example of Peter in the book of Acts is probably about as clear as it comes. So let me read that to you. Peter went up on the house, to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times and the object was taken up again into heaven. This exact count hearkens all the way back to the book of Ezekiel, where Ezekiel was told to eat defiled food as a sign to the people of Israel that they would likewise eat defiled food in their exile. But Ezekiel cried out to the Lord. He said this, "'Ah, Lord God, indeed, I have never defiled myself from my youth until now. I have never eaten what died of itself or was torn by beasts, nor has abominable flesh ever come into my mouth.'" Then he said to me, see, I am giving you cow dung instead of human waste, and you shall prepare your bread over that. <laughs> in the case of Ezekiel, God allowed him to substitute a clean source of fuel for an unclean one. But by doing this, he maintained Ezekiel's ability to uphold the law. However, in the case of Peter, God repeated his statement to Peter that he was to uphold the mandate that was given to him to go ahead and allow that which is unclean to be eaten he was to acknowledge this he wasn't given an exception like ezekiel was the account here though actually has two separate applications both of which are equally valid and both are which to be understood in the greater context of the new testament in the first application god was ordaining that all foods were clean because of the work of jesus he is the fulfillment of the law in the second application god was showing peter that gentiles whose tummies were already full of unclean food were to be considered clean when they called on Jesus as lord he purified them of any defilement and therefore no further cleansing such as dietary restrictions was needed at that time or at any point in the future now because we're talking about food here and specifically about what the bible allows I want to take a moment, some of you that have been in my class know this, but I want to take a moment and tell you about biblical diets. These are never, if you ever see a biblical diet like on a Christian television channel or if you see it at a health food store or something like that, these are never, never that I have seen more than a sham that people will be able to take out of context and they will be able to make a buck at the Christian's expense here's one for example maybe you've heard of the Ezekiel diet if you've heard of the Ezekiel diet this is a diet which is supposedly the biblical way of staying healthy it's in the Bible it must be right right the Ezekiel diet comes from the passage that I referenced just a couple minutes ago here but I didn't read the rest of it here's what it says also take for yourself wheat barley beans lentils millet spelt and put them into one vessel and make bread of them for yourself so some money grubber goes into the Bible and he makes bread out of this stuff and he's selling it as a nutritious diet that you can live on forever. Never mind that the reason that Ezekiel was told to eat this stuff is mentioned just a couple of verses later. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, surely I will cut off the supply of bread in Jerusalem. They shall eat bread by weight with anxiety, and shall drink water by measure with dread, that they may lack bread and water, and may be dismayed with one another, and waste away because of their iniquity. Ezekiel was told to eat this stuff as a subsistence level diet, just enough to keep a person alive for a single day, but not to live properly. The devil is in the details that the Ezekiel diet folks left out. So I'd like everybody here just to be careful when somebody promotes a diet, which is supposedly a biblical remedy to health, whether it's the Daniel diet or whether it's the Jesus loaf of bread diet or some other crazy thing that people come up with, You can just as nutritious food right at the uh, public supermarket. Paul explains in the New Testament the goodness of the foods that God has placed in the world and the deception that was coming on the world that would be pushed upon the unsuspecting people after his time. Here's what he said. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy having their own conscience seared with a hot iron forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which god created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth for every creature of god is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving for it is sanctified by the word of god and prayer so if you see a little lizard walking along and you're hungry Thank the Lord for it. Say your prayer over it. That lizard is sanctified. Now, obviously, there are poisonous lizards in the world. I'm not telling you to go eat poisonous stuff. But whatever you eat, it's sanctified. By the word of God, Jesus fulfilled the law, and it's sanctified through prayer. Everything is acceptable. Nothing is unacceptable because it has been ordained by God. Point number four today, care for the creation. This is our last point. It's a short little point, but I do feel compelled to, that after talking about all these tasty animals, which I knew I'd get some faces from my mom about, (laughs) that we should take a moment and look at God's creation as something that is valuable and worth preserving and that we don't waste or abuse it. I talked about that owl, the eagle owl, a little while ago and how it specifically flew in to grab its meal. And when we carefully consider them, every animal, every bird, Every sea creature that God made is a marvel of imagination and it is a delight to our imaginations. I want to read just a couple of things that God has given us from the animal world that is just beautiful in its splendor. Flying frogs, which I didn't even know there were flying frogs, change color throughout the day. They're greenish blue in the sunlight, they're green in the evening and they turn black at night. So they're always hidden from sight. The king cobra can grow to almost 20 feet in length, and it's regarded as the largest, poisonous snake in the world. A tiny amount of its poison can kill up to 30 people. And I can tell you to stay away from the king cobra, I picked one up in Malaysia, I looked at it, it spit in my eye, it put out my right eye, and I had to go to the hospital for several days. And to think that the doctor said, if even a small amount of that got into my tear duct, it would have gone directly to my brain and killed me. So the Lord did have another purpose for me, apparently. Bats eat all types of food, there is no restriction in a bat's diet. The hippopotamus' eyes, its ears and its nostrils are all on the top of their head so that they can stand up or they can sit down underwater with just a minimal profile so that the predator animals won't come after them. There is no sideways movement in a cat's jaw. Armadillos have four babies at the same time and they're all the same sex. They are perfect identical quadruplets. Armadillos sleep oh, I love this part. They sleep for 18.5 hours a day and they can walk underwater. And they are the only other species outside of human beings that can both carry and transmit leprosy. Giraffes have no vocal cords, but cats have a hundred vocal cords, and I believe that. A goat's eyes have rectangular pupils. A camel's milk and I bet you you didn't know this, but a camel's milk never curdles. Did you know that? There you go, something interesting. She's from Israel there, so you'd think she might know that. I could go on with these fun facts all day about these animals. He has given us just a dazzling array of life on this planet and every single type fills a specific role. If God has given such tender care and detail to the life that he has created, then we should be equally careful to preserve what he has given us for the generations to come. I love my little dogs. But to me, cats just don't please. The way I enjoy a cow is with potatoes and some peas. Bears are amazing, but one needs to keep some space. If not, you may lose an arm or the nose right off your face. Watching squirrels reminds me that God knows humor too. Who can't but laugh at how they act and the funny things they do. Wherever you go on this big round ball, all types of creatures abound, from the really big to the really small, everywhere they can be found. God has lavished us with his loving hand in the beasties that he's made, everywhere and in every land, in the open sun or in the darkest shade. So let us take good care of the beasts he put under our control, whether out in nature or in a zoo or beside a dinner roll. And God saw that it was good. This is the middle, by the way, of the last day of creation the first Friday on earth, which is the sixth day of creation. Everything to this point has been created by God in anticipation of his final great act. The house is complete and he has one more thing to finish out his marvelous work. And we will look next week at the stupendous wonder of the creation on the sixth day, which is the creation of man. Now, last week I told you, if you remember, that only on the third day of creation did God say, Kitov, it is good two times. However, after creating animals at the middle of the sixth day, he said it is good. And then he pronounces an even greater blessing at the end of the day. The first Friday on earth was a very good day. And since the time of Jesus' cross, Friday of that memorial week has become known as Good Friday. So it forms a wonderful parallel to the first Friday when God finished up his wonderful works of creation. Next week we'll look over those last verses. I think everybody here is probably saved, but Sergio here is taping this and we had somebody actually watch one of these sermons recently. And uh, he wasn't a believer and he's uh, hopefully (coughs) gonna watch in the future. So I'd like to take just a moment and explain why Jesus came. He came and he created all of these things for us. And then he created man. And when he created us, he created us with the desire to have fellowship with him. And it wasn't long after creating man, as we'll see next week, that man separated from God by disobeying him. And when he did that, it put a rift between us and God. And that rift is an infinite rift. God is infinite. We're finite. And so any sin infinitely separates us from God. And so what did God do? Instead of just rejecting us entirely and allowing us to go about and destroying ourselves or completely just wiping us out of existence, he steps into the stream of time in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. He united with human flesh and he lived, as I said a little earlier, the perfect life that none of us can live. We are all going about our life and we're sinning. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That's why we die. We're, we die physically, but we also are dead spiritually because of this. The wages of sin is death. But God demonstrates his own love for us, for his creation, in that while we are still sinners, he sent Christ Jesus to die for us. And when he did that, Christ Jesus reconciled us to God the Father because he can put his hand on his infinite Father and he can put his hand on finite man and he can make the bridge between the two of them and reconcile us. And so the Bible asks us to do one simple thing, is to believe on Jesus as Lord, that he is the creator and that he can reconcile us to this infinitely glorious God that created all of these things. It says, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Call on the name of the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. The reason why is the wages of sin is death. He never sinned and therefore he had to come out of the grave and he promises to lead us to eternal life if we simply call on the name of Jesus. So do that today. Heavenly Father, thank you for the wonderful creatures that you've given us. Thank you even for cats. Thank you for all of the things that are just so marvelous out there. The dogs that we love so very, very much and the birds that delight us and uh, the fish, the ocean uh, animals that just excite us with imagination, which fill our dinner tables. We thank you for all of those. And once again, I even thank you for cats. Lord, we love you, we praise you. You're a great and wonderful creator and may your glorious name be praised in all ways and at all times, amen.